0: Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And So I want to welcome you, and, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church, and I uh, want to encourage you, is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 9:15 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than.
1: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Um, a couple of matters of housekeeping for us as a church. Um, September the 18th, we've got a grand opening. I know Pastor Sean has talked about that. You're not going to want to miss it, it's going to be awesome. There's going to, have to be some cool stuff for the kids. It's just going to be an opportunity to celebrate all that God has done. And if you're a member at Coastal Community Church, we are actually going to have this charter that all the members are going to sign. And uh, so make sure that you have your membership. We're not going to close membership until the end of the year. And that way, anybody that wants to sign the charter, we're going to hang it in the lobby and seal it like a time capsule or something cool like that. So you definitely want to be a part of that. It's going to be great. And uh, one other order of housekeeping, the Apostle John is the one who wrote Revelation, not the Apostle Paul, for some of you that maybe missed that. Um, But if you have your Bibles, Hebrews 13, we're going to get into um, this this look. We're talking about greater than, and uh, the Hebrew series has been great, and now we're getting into the practical application of the writer of Hebrews writes to us. And it's the idea that we're in part of this unshakable kingdom in Hebrews 13. And this week we're looking at that God is greater or Christ is greater than our rebellion. And here's the deal. We're going to look at rebellion today and we're going to look at what the, the Bible wants to teach us. And my prayer is that it would reveal some things in your life here from the passage of Hebrews. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 13 verses 7 through 9. And this is what it says. Remember your leaders who first taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and trust the Lord as they do. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your spiritual strength comes from God's special favor, not from ceremonial ritual rules about food which don't help those who follow them. All right, now skip down to verse 17. He he, he talks about this idea of leadership and following the leaders, and then he talks about it again in verse 17 through 19. Verse 17, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they know they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this joyfully and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Verse 18. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. I especially need your prayers right now so that I can come back to you soon. Let's pray. Precious Father, teach us your word We know that all truth is from you, God. And we ask, Lord God, that you would teach us your truth. We ask, Lord God, that you would use the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit like a sword and that you would divide between the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow. You would change us and transform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he died on the cross and three days later rose from the dead. And we ask, Lord God, that you would change us and transform us. Lord God, embolden us and empower us today, Lord God. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Greater than our rebellion. We're going to look at rebellion here. And what's interesting is when I was a child, I have, I have three brothers. I have an older brother and two younger twin brothers. And um, so there were four boys, and uh, most of you are saying poor mom. Um, and, uh, but my dad was in the Marine Corps, so it was okay. And he would discipline us. This was be kind of before like, you know, timeouts and stuff like that. Timeout meant you're going to get a whooping. So like, hey, take a time out and wait for me because I'm going to whoop you. And, um, and he was very loving and godly about it. Um, you know, he would, he would basically make us wait and stress a little bit. And then all of a sudden he would come in and he would embrace us and he would love us. And he'd say, I'm whipping you because I love you. Because if I didn't love you, I wouldn't whoop you. And I would be like, I don't understand if you really love me, let me go. He said, no, I love you enough to to see you change and to see you be obedient. And so oftentimes all of us would get whoopings at one time. And so my dad would have us line up in the hallway as we were waiting because we would, you know, sass off to my mom. We would beat on each other. We only got whooped for one thing. It was direct disobedience. Dad said, hey, I want you to do something. We didn't do it. And then he'd say, hey, I really want you to do this, and then we wouldn't do it. And then he would say, okay, line up. We knew exactly what that meant. All of a sudden, so we're lining up, and we all, we all went in kind of a different, in a different way in the way we approached getting in trouble. And, and, and what's interesting is a lot of us approach God the same way. And it's this, you know, my, my older brother, he would go in, and he would live in denial. Yeah, Dad, I know you saw me, you know, beat on my brother and you told me to stop, but, 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 you know, I didn't do it, Dad. It was another kid that looked just like me, but I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And that, was, that went over really well. That went over really well. And, and you know, because my dad would go, I saw you do it. And, and so my brother would be pleading his innocence and claiming his innocence all the way up to the whooping, the paddle, Whoosh. And it was on the bottom, and so, you know, that way that there was no markings or anything like that. And, you know, and we would get whooped, and, you know, and then I would go in, and I was a little different because my thing was, I go, that didn't work. Denial didn't work. So in my mind, I was like, you know what, I'm going to play martyrdom. You're right, Dad. I totally did it. You deserve, you just killed me. Beat me, just destroy me, you know. And it wasn't because I was sorry for what I did, but I was just sorry that I got caught. You know, go ahead, Dad, just whoop me. You know, and you know, and my dad would look and say, son, I love you. This is not about destroying you, this is about improving your character. And I don't understand that. I didn't understand that. I was like, what the heck, dad? What? Then my, my, my younger brother, I have two younger twin brothers. Yes, my mom's a saint. She'll be a saint in heaven. Um, she, um, so my older brother, my older twin, there's by four minutes, he would go in and his whole thing was he wanted to negotiate with my dad. Maybe, and we do this with God sometimes, you know, he would negotiate. He would go, dad, yeah, I did it. You're right. But how about I mow the lawn? You know, and that'll make up for, like, the bad that I did, you know. I'll do this so you don't have to punish me. And my dad, you know, my dad would look, and he would just kind of smile, and he was very, very patient. And what was what was really scary was my dad never raised his voice. He would just, I understand, son, very monotone. He was an engineer, so, like, you know, if you know engineers and stuff, sorry, Mark, they're just very, it was just very calm, cool, and collected. Just, phew, I know, son. And so he would, he would then, he there, he would try to make a deal with, with um, my dad. And then my youngest brother, Joel, God bless him, he was just full on defiant. He would double down. He would look at my dad and he would go, Yeah, dad, I did it. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> we would be like, Don't kill him, dad, don't kill him. Please. Because it was this, you know, he was like, I'm in. Yeah. It was that idea of, you know, I I sinned and I sinned boldly. But we'd all go in pleading differently in the way that we dealt with our sin in our life. But we all came out the same way. (laughs) You know, your turn. And then my dad would take us in. His arms, and he would hug us, and he would love us, and he would tell us that he loved us, and he would embrace us, and then he would pray for us, and then he would have us pray, and, and, and that, that, was, that was interesting because he would communicate that there is a spiritual process of discipline. And and I don't know, maybe some of you guys did not have that kind of uh, discipline growing up. But it was interesting. And and remember in Hebrews 12, the Bible says the Lord loves those whom he disciplines. And one of the things that the Lord does to get our attention is is he wants to deal with something in our life. And it's the sin of rebellion. And, And a lot of times, I think when we look at rebellion, we think, well, we're not rebellious. But the reality is everyone has rebellion in them. Rebellion, let me define it for you. Rebellion is the action or process of resisting authority, control, or convention. The reality is that all rebellion is against God. There is no rebellion that is not against God. There's three types of rebellion. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, the, uh, the prophet Samuel is communicating to King Saul. And he looks and he says, you have been rebellious and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Like, this is the absolute... Rebellion is the worst. But there's three types of rebellion that I want to kind of pull out. The first one is this, is personal rebellion. This is rebellion against how God made me. See, God made us and created us for a specific plan and purpose. And sometimes we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see and we don't like what God did. You know, Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah chapter 45. It says, shall the potter... shall the clay say to the potter, why did you make me this way? He doesn't have any hands... You know, it's this idea that God made me for a specific plan and purpose, and he has something for me to do. He's got a plan and a purpose for each one of your lives, and he created you for that. And it might be because, and it might be shown, that plan and purpose might be not through your success, but sometimes through your failure. Or it might come through your hardship. But there's this personal rebellion. And and, and a great biblical example is Jonah. God had created Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah goes, I am going to rebel against you, God, and what you have made me for, and I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And God was not good with that. So God sent the the big fish, swallowed him up. Three days later, vomits him up, and then guess what? Jonah did what God wanted him to do. Second type of rebellion is the institutional rebellion. Institutional rebellion is, is rebellion against the people and processes God has placed over you. Now there is institutional rebellion is this idea that you know what God I hate institutions and listen this is this is going rampant in our country right now. Institutional rebellion. It's the idea of hey I love Jesus but I hate his church. Lots of people say that. Institutional rebellion is this idea that, you know what, down with the government. Let's, let's, let's have anarchy. Now, our country was, a lot of you would say, our country was founded upon institutional rebellion. We're Americans, man. That's what we do, baby. We rebel. Now, what was really interesting is, is if you've ever read Thomas Paine's um, common sense. It was a pamphlet that was being circulated amongst the colonies. The, the rebellion that existed was justified in their minds based upon the fact that the king of England had set himself up over the church. And so their rebellion, most of the rebellion that was taking place, not all of it, but probably not even most of it, but the leaders, the leaders justified their rebellion in their mind was because he was placing himself over God. And so in their minds, they were thinking, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so their institutional rebellion was, was, more, was not really rebellion in their mind. Their conscience were clear because the king of England had placed himself over the church of Jesus Christ and over God himself. And so therefore, they rebelled. And, not in a, it, it, and so here's the deal. History, God, God will tell us what, what, what was What was the right response? And some would say, hey, this was a godly thing, some would say this was an ungodly thing. But the reality is, read read common sense by Thomas Paine, if you if you really want to go further on that. But institutional rebellion really is, and and let me give you the example. The biblical example is King Saul. God had set up practices on how to do sacrifices, and that it was supposed to be done by a priest. And King Saul was waiting for Samuel and all the armies there, and they're about to go fight in this battle and they're waiting for Samuel to come to do the sacrifice and Saul short changes it he he takes the shortcut he he says give me the sacrifice i'll do it myself and he rebelled against god's systems and an institution of the priesthood that god had set up he had rebelled against that so that he could do it himself and so institutional rebellion is a great example, King Saul is a great example of institutional rebellion. Let me, let me comment back first to personal rebellion. Personal rebellion leads to anger. If you're living in personal rebellion, you are an angry person. If you struggle with, 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 with anger in your life, the result is there's probably some sort of personal rebellion. That God made you a certain way for a specific purpose, and the anger is what comes from that. Have you ever met somebody that's just angry? They're angry all the time about everything. And the reality is, is because they're rebelling against how God made them and what he made them for. Institutional rebellion leads to fear. You live in fear of the institution. You live in fear of the leaders. You live in fear. There's this fear that somehow they're going to control you or they're going to change you or they're going to beat you down. And so you live in fear. There's this fear. And then the last one is supreme rebellion. And and this is rebellion against God and his laws. And this leads to discontentment. And if you weren't here last week, you need to listen to Pastor Sean's message on contentment. It was fantastic. One of the best messages I've ever heard on contentment. But supreme rebellion is basically rebelling against God himself. You're looking at God and saying, no, God, you don't know best. And his laws, or his word. And this leads to discontentment. I'll give you a couple biblical examples. The first one is Lucifer himself. If you read Isaiah, you see that Lucifer looked and said, I will place myself above God. I will do these things. I will be worshipped. I will be God himself. Another great biblical example is the children of Israel. Israel where Moses is up at Mount Sinai and the children of Israel are waiting on him. And they're waiting and waiting and, they're, and basically they just said, hey, Aaron, make us a golden calf so that we can see the God and we'll make him our God and we'll worship him. And they rebelled against God himself. The God had, had cro- they crossed the Red Sea. And all of a sudden they're like, man, he has, where, what have you done for me lately, God. Let's make a golden calf and let's worship this. This is the God that delivered us from Egypt. And that's supreme rebellion. The reality is all rebellion needs to lead to repentance if you're a Christian. The only response to rebellion needs to be repentance. Now, why did I set this up? Because here the writer of Hebrews is talking about rebellion. And this is what he says. He says, remember your leaders who first taught you the word of God. This is verse 7. And so, if you're taking notes, the kingdom actions for the church towards their leaders. If you've got a problem with the leadership of the church, you have several options. You can leave. We live in a country in which you can leave and go to another church. You can submit and work through it, or you can do. And this is the most damaging one. This is the this is the big cancer. You can talk bad about the church and continue to remain. You can be offended and live, this, live in offense towards the church leadership. Now, I'm going to share something for you, and I know it's going to blow you away. Pastor Sean is not perfect. I know. I know. I know some of you think he is. He's not. I'm going to share something else. It's going to blow you away. Our elders are not perfect. I know. I know. Some of you would say, I don't even know who our elders are. Well, let me give you their names. Some of them are actually here. I'm looking at one of them, Jimmy Martin. He's one of our elders. Wayne Drury is one of our elders. Lamont Preston is another. And John Lindstrom is the final elder. We have elders. And guess what? We go into meetings and we submit to them. And we submit to our pastor. He's also one of our elders. But it's this idea that the kingdom actions for the church towards their leaders. The, the writer of Hebrews is basically saying there is actions that need to be taken towards your leaders. And here are the actions. If you're a person of the kingdom, if you've invited Christ into your life, then the response to the church leaders needs to be this. And that's what he's teaching us right now. That's what they're teaching us. The first one is this. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 is the idea is that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, so that the person of God can be perfect or holy. It's this idea that we've got to remember the leaders who taught us the Word of God. We've got to remember that, that, that taking care of your elders and pastors and their families We have to do something in the process of taking care of our leaders. We have to look to our elders and our our pastor, and we've got to remember who taught us the Word of God. Pastor Sean spends hours upon hours upon hours studying the Word of God so that he can present it to us in a way that which we can understand and it can become part of our lives so that our lives can be transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. Second, how are the kingdom actions towards their leaders is to imitate what the writer of Hebrews says. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We've got to imitate. We've got to imitate the faith that they have and how their life is turning out. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, this is what he, he said, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me the way that I'm living, and that's the way that a Christian is to live. Now, we're going to look at, in number three, we're going to look at how are, the God, how are leaders, what are the actions for the church leaders? They have a responsibility. And we're going to look at that in a second, but the reality for us that the writer of Hebrews talks about is he says imitate their faith. Imitate Pastor Sean's faith. Imitate the elders' faith. Imitate the pastor's faith. And therefore, the pastors have got to live pure and holy lives. And we're going to look at that in a second. But the reality is, is they should be without reproach. Remember, if you were here last year, Pastor Sean spoke on 1 Timothy. And he talked about what a pastor or an elder and the way that they're supposed to live. That one of the qualifications is they have to be blameless. Man, that is Difficult. They have to live in the glass house. They have that everyone can look at them and their life has to be above reproach so that no one can have cause against them. Why? Because they are representing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their life and as acting as an example to everyone. Number three, letter C. The writer of Hebrews says this, and I'm going to go back to the second point. I'm going to skip verse 8 and go to verse 9. So don't be attracted by strange new ideas. Your spiritual strength comes from God's special favor. What's God's special favor? It's his grace. If you're reading from the ESV, it talks about God's grace. Not from the ceremonial rules about food, which don't help those who follow him. Some of you would look at this and go, "What what the heck is he talking about? This is what he's talking about. He's saying, listen... Guard yourself with grace, not legalism. It's not about following a list of rules. It's not about guarding yourself by do's and don'ts. It's about guarding yourself for insulating yourself with the grace of God. Because grace always demands more, never less. See, rules are real easy. If I do this and I do this, then I'm right. But grace takes the magnifying glass, not on the external actions, but on the internal heart. See, if I just follow the rules, the reality is this, you don't know why I'm following the rules. Grace looks at the internal. It's like little Billy, you know, that, you know, he, the dad says, hey, sit down, Billy. Billy sits down and he goes, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I said that one time to my dad. It didn't go over very well. He took me into the, to the bathroom. That's where we always got whooped. And um, I don't know why I turned on the fan. I, I don't know. I don't know. And um, he said, you're going to be sitting down on the inside and on the outside. Okay, Dad. Why? Because here's the deal. God was more concerned about God's more concerned about our heart. See, so often we guard ourselves and think, well, if I just do this and I don't do this, then God will be pleased with me. The reality is, no. The way that we guard ourselves is with the grace of God. Ephesians two, eight, and nine. It's for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of works, so that no one can boast. See, the same grace that saves us is the same grace that keeps us and guards us and protects us. And it's that grace of God that every time we fail, we get to fall down in short account and say, God, please forgive me. And the same grace that saved us is the same grace that forgives us. And you might be here today and you might be thinking, man, I have, man, I have definitely not been living the way God wants me to live. Well, there's grace. There's grace. The fourth thing that the Bible tells us here in Hebrews chapter 13 is this. It says, obey and submit to the authority of the church. Now look at verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. This is the hard one. This is a really hard one. Because for me to obey and submit to the authority of the church leaders means that they're not God, they're not perfect. Why in the world would the writer of Hebrews tell us that? Why in the world? Because here's the deal. The kingdom of God is set up by God. And he's the one that raises up and installs leaders. And he's the one that removes leaders. It's not by happenstance that a leader is brought into place. No, the reality is, is that God, in his sovereignty, in his greatness, in his kingship over us, people of his kingdom, wants us to submit to the authority that God has placed over us in our church leaders. Have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 13. I want to look at several passages of Scripture because this is important. Because this slaps in the face of our personal rebellion, our institutional rebellion, and our supreme rebellion. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says this, Obey the government. I'm listening to you guys turn, so I'll wait. And then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. So if you're you're like, used to those old Bible drills where you held up the Bible and you had to look it up, you can automatically go on there and you can jump ahead. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Obey the government, for God is the one who put it there. All governments have been placed in power by God. So those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God and punishment will follow. For the authority... The authorities do not frighten people who are doing right. But they frighten those who do wrong. So do what they say and you will get along well. So I'm going to confess. I got a ticket. I got a ticket. The light was pink. And um, it was pink. It wasn't red. It was pink. And uh, <laughs> And I was driving through, and guess what? I got a ticket. And um, I was like, you know what? I can make it. You know, isn't that what we say? I, I can make it. I can make it. it, it here's the deal. It, it was it was yellow turning red, and you know, and and there was a policeman, and he was a couple cars behind. And I was like, man, what an idiot I am, not him. That's not an admission of guilt. It's just <laughs> confession. No, here's the deal. And so guess what? What's the, what's the result? The lights go on. The policeman pulls behind me and he writes me a ticket. He writes me a ticket. And, and, and he, he had the authority to do that. And was I frightened? Well, I was a little frightened because I was like, man, how much is this fine going to be? What's going to happen? Why? Because God has placed authority over us. And it's our responsibility to submit to the authority that God has placed over us. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, not only do we need to replace the government's authority that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 12, but we need to submit to the church authority. Let me turn over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. See, I think this is the hardest thing for the church today. It's this idea of Submission. God wants us to submit to authority. We have a hard time submitting because nobody is going to tell me what to do about what I want. And so there's this this subtle rebellion. And it, it might be an internal rebellion. Outside, you might be looking and living a certain way. But there's this subtle rebellion in your life. Well, the church has no authority over me. They need me. When you get to that point, that's a scary place to be. The idea is, is that people in the kingdom are to live differently. Remember in Acts when the early church all came together and what was happening? There were needs and people were meeting needs. And they were loving and caring for each other. And there was this place of love. And all of these people wanted to come and be a part of what was going on. And why did they want to be a part? They wanted to be a part because of the way that the love that they had for each other and the structure that God had put into place with the leaders. And they were learning the word of God and they were praying. And it didn't matter how much junk you had in your life, it didn't matter. Because all of these people loved each other and submitted to God, submitted to the leaders, and submitted to each other. And why is the church in the state that it is in today? Is because we are rebellious people. We don't like to submit. We don't want to submit. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us this in verse 21. It says, and further, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Apostle Paul's saying, listen, don't just submit to the authority, but submit to each other. No one's going to tell me what to do. I don't know why I went into a southern accent. I have no idea. Well, there you go. No, it's it's this idea. No one's going to tell me what to do. Why? Well, because here's the deal. Because God, we look at us and we become our own prophet. We become our own priest. We become our own God, little g, God. And God looks at that and says, no, that's rebellion. You can't do what you want to do and say what you want to say. No, God has given us riverbanks to which we live our life. One is the Holy Spirit, one is the Word of God, the Holy Spirit in the church, the Word of God, and therefore we're to live our life in between. Now, legalism is that narrowing of the riverbanks. But let me tell you something the riverbanks are wide. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. It's very different, it's very diversified. But most of us that are legalistic are going, no, this is it. You don't do this, you're in sin. Burn in hell. No, the riverbanks are wide. And so God has placed these things into our life to let us know how we can live the life that He has called us to live in John 10. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Some of us are just living in anger or in fear or frustrated discontentment. Why? Because we won't submit to the authority that God has placed over us, and so therefore we're not submitting to God. Because it's God that put the authority over us. This is the hardest thing. Because we rationalize it in our heads. You can read 1 Peter 2. You got 1 Peter 2, 15, 2, 13? For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state. Go to the next one. In the same way, you, are, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, this is all over Scripture. I'm not telling you something that's some random verse out of nowhere. We're to live in submission to God. This is hard. This is difficult, especially for us, because we're Americans. But God says to obey and submit to the authority of the church. Next thing that he says here, keep reading, it says this, pray for your church leaders. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 18 and 19. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. I especially need your prayers right now so that I can come back to you soon. What's our attitude? What's our actions towards church leaders? Not only are we to remember them, imitate them, guard, our, guard them, guard yourself and guard them with grace, not legalism. Because here's the deal, a lot of times you, you have a legalistic perspective and you think that everyone should fit within that. Now I'll make allowances according to what the Word of God says for your legalism because the Bible talks about us making allowances for that but the idea is you need to be gracious, not legalistic. What's the other response? To obey and submit and finally to pray for your church leaders. I can't tell you this past year of how many Christian leaders have fallen. And I really believe it's because The idea of I don't I don't think the church is praying for their leaders, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, please pray for us. And there's two things that he's asking them to pray for. He's praying that they have a clear conscience, and praying that they act honorably in all things. That's the word wording from the ESV. The ESV says, pray that we would act honorably in all things. When's the last time you prayed for Pastor Sean and his family? When's the last time that you prayed for our elders? You don't know their names. When's the last time you prayed for our pastors? We need your prayers. We're desperate for them. Like, and 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 let me tell you something. Listen, as a pastor, I was a pastor for eight years before I came here from Orlando. And one of the things that, it's interesting, it's a totally different perspective, having been a senior pastor and then now coming and serving under Pastor Sean, and I pray for him. I pray that God would keep him strong, that he would keep his marriage strong, that he would keep his kids solid and grounded in the faith. Why? Because if any of those things falter, his job is done here. He's removed. He's no longer qualified to be our pastor. And so we better pray. We better pray. Pray that he has a clear conscience. What does that mean? The Apostle Paul talks about this. We're going to look at that in a second in Acts chapter 24. That we act honorably in all things. It says, what's the idea of this? What's the goal of this? The goal is that we can be unified. When we submit to each other, when we submit to the authorities that God has placed over us, we can be unified. It It brings us together to do more for God than we could ever do apart. You're here because God wants to use you to change this world, and he wants to do it not by yourself, but with a group, with his church, with his body, with us. Membership is just one of those things. Why do we encourage membership all the time? Because we just want to know who's in. Who's going to go change the world with us? And not us as individuals, but us as the collective church of Jesus Christ. You get to be a part of something bigger than yourself, and it doesn't matter what comes against us. We can be unified. We're going to stand together no matter what. And we're going to stand together behind the word of God and on the word of God. And we're going to obey the word of God and we're going to submit to the word of God. And your leaders are submitting to the word of God. And we're going to submit to each other. And guess what's going to happen? God's going to see that and he's going to pour out his blessing. Rebellion makes you unblessable. If you have rebellion in your heart towards your church, towards authorities, you are unblessable. God cannot bless sin. And some of us are walking around going, I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. And there's rebellion in your heart towards your pastor, towards your leaders, towards your government. And you're unblessable. And you're like, what's going on? God's got it messed up. God's wrong. God's forsaken me. And the real issue is look in the mirror and ask God, God, search me, O God, and know my hearts and see if there be any wicked way in me. See if there's any rebellion in me. The writer of Hebrews then transitions, go back to verse 8. It almost doesn't fit. It's almost in the middle of the passage because in the middle of it, he's talking about your leaders, and then he goes into verse 8, and he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why in the world is that in there? That doesn't make any sense. He's talking about submitting to your leaders. He's talking about not being attracted to new strange ideas, God's grace, and all of a sudden, he puts this verse right in the middle, and this is significant, because King Jesus is the unchangeable God. Why is this verse there? Is because here's the here's the beauty of this passage. Leaders change. Situations change. Circumstances change. Everything changes. The world changes. Whether it be good or whether it be bad, it creates huge insecurity and huge instability. Especially if you have a wicked leader. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus doesn't change. That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That this, this means that his promises don't change. They're the same. That the salvation that you received is still effective. And nobody can touch that. It's the fact that, that his, his salvation is the same. That he, knew no, that he that knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be the righteousness of God. That Christ has saved us. So therefore, we can be confident. What can man do to us? If God be before us, who could be against us? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can be confident. Why is this verse there? Because everything changes except Christ. Buildings change, people change, situations change, governments change, but Jesus never changes. This should give you security. This should give you hope. This should let you know that this anchor doesn't move, that I can build my life upon Christ in this shaky, unshifty world. Third thing is this. Kingdom actions for the church leaders. This is the expectations you need to have for us, for the leaders of the church, for pastors in the church. Here's your expectations for us. And these are the expectations we have to live for. This is why we need prayer, okay? This is why we really need prayer. First one is this, that we're to live a godly life. Look at verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they know you are accountable. they are accountable to God. Give them reason to be joyful and not with sorrow, that they would certainly be for your benefit. Pray for us for a clear conscience. We want to live honorably in everything we do. I especially need your prayers right now so I can come back to you soon. First one is this. Live a godly life. Why? To not live a godly life is to be disqualified as a church leader. Plain and simple. Number two, letter B. Was the expectation you can live is teach the word of God. We are to teach you the word of God. It is our responsibility to teach you the word of God. And the only way we can teach you the word of God is allow the word of God to get in us so that we can get it in you. If it's not in us, it can't be in you. It's transference. It's not talking down. I need this just as much as you do. Let us see we need to have a clear conscience the Apostle Paul says in Acts 24 before Felix, he says, hey, my conscience is clear. Now, why do we not have a clear conscience? It's important that we have a clear conscience, that leaders have a clear conscience. The actions, the expectations is because if my conscience isn't clear, then I'm hiding sin. And if I'm hiding sin, eventually my sin is going to find me out and it's going to tell. And the, de- and the consequences and things are way more Devastating. So the idea is to have a clear conscience. Letter D, act honorably in all things, that we need to act honorably in everything. I sold a house um, a few years ago, and after I sold the house, the pool pump went out like a week later. This guy knew I was a pastor. I'd shared Christ with him and everything. And he basically called me and was very upset and came after me. And I prayed long and hard. And my first response was, You bought it, you probably broke it. It's yours. That was my response. And then I realized something else that's not blameless living. I've got to do better than that. And so I paid the $360 to go have the pool pump replaced. And I said, You know what? I'm so sorry. This was after about a week of wrestling with God, going, no! And looking to do the right thing. And not don't go, oh, wow, man, what a godly guy. No, the reality was it was hard. But I wanted to live honorably in all things. It's what God has called me to do. And if I'm going to be a pastor, one of your pastors, I need to live honorably in everything that I do. And so what's the response? The response is that we can be leaders or followers in this church you can live a godly life, teach the word of God, have a clear conscience and act honorably in all things. That's the expectation for your church leaders. So recognize that this if you're living this way, you should be a leader in our church. And if you're just sitting on the sidelines, it's time to get off the sidelines and get in the game. I heard an old preacher say, "Get off your blessed assurance and get going." See, Christ is greater than our rebellion, but the reality is is that most of us embrace our rebellion more than we embrace Christ. See, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead so that we can submit to authority. And if you're here today and this, this, this idea of rebellion is maybe something great or it's convicting to you, then the response is simple. For you Christians, it's to repent. And for you that aren't Christians, it's for you to repent as well and ask God to forgive you and to receive the grace and mercy of God in your life so that he can change you from the inside out. See, the idea is that unity, confidence, followership, and leadership come from our unchangeable Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings life. Rebellion comes from our sinful desires that always bring death and make us unblessable. If you've never received Jesus Christ, very simply you say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. If you're a Christian and you are rebellious, you need to say, God, please forgive me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will save us. He will forgive us. He will change us. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to to come to know him this morning. It's very simply, it's you letting go of your anger, your hatred, your rebellion, and you're saying, God, I submit myself to you first and foremost. And I ask that you would have my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. And by faith, I I take you into my life. And he comes and he, he dwells in us for the rest of our life. And he's merciful to us and he forgives us. He embraces us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, heavy, heavy, heavy topic. Thank you for doing soul surgery on my life this week, Lord God, and revealing the areas that I struggle with in my own rebellion. Thank you for forgiving me. I pray for those that are struggling against rebellion against Coastal Community Church. I pray, Lord God, that you would convict them and they would repent. And they would submit to the authority of your word, of you, of your church. Lord, we love you. We need you. I pray for those that don't know you, Lord, as personal Lord and Savior, they've never received you into their life. I pray, Lord God, that they would pray this prayer, Lord God. I pray that they would say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins and my rebellion. Come into my life and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave after three days. I love you. I need you. And help me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.